my dudes, my name is Tiffany. Welcome back to my series, Internet Analysis. Today, I want to talk about ingredient households and snacks. What does our food mean to us? What does it say about us? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Content warnings for diets, eating disorders, fat phobia, and food scarcity. Food is a deeply personal thing, and I know everyone has their own thoughts and experiences, so let's approach this discussion with compassion, as always. So the question is, were you a snack household or an ingredients-only household? A household where there is no ready-to-eat food, but rather ingredients that need to be prepared in order to eat. There was this discussion on TikTok. It really began around, like, December of last year, I think, when people were heading back to their parents' homes for the holidays, and they remembered, wow, my parents do not keep any snacks in the house. This inspired a little series, a genre of videos that went something like this. You know you're an ingredient-only household when you're craving a snack and you end up eating random ingredients or combinations such as croutons, a plain tortilla, perhaps a microwaved cheese roll-up if you're fancy, a spoonful of peanut butter, extra points if you add chocolate chips, a slice of bread, and if you have anything within reach, throw that on there. Butter, cheese, sprinkles. In my mind, there's a spectrum. On one end, you have all the snacks, convenience foods, pre-made, processed, frozen. On the other, ingredients. And as far as you can go, like imagine if you had to make literally everything from scratch. So if that is the spectrum, obviously most households fall somewhere in between. Maybe you're 30% convenience foods, 70% ingredients, whatever. So anyway, lots of these videos were made. People were sharing their unique foods and things they used to eat and some people saw them and they were like wait did I live in an ingredient only household and I didn't even know it or I thought this was normal and this is what makes this conversation so interesting eating those random munchies I mentioned before does not necessarily mean you lived in an ingredient household maybe you had plenty of snacks but were just craving a tortilla or some croutons instead or perhaps your family bought snacks but all the good stuff would get eaten up and then you'd have a snackless period of time before the next grocery trip and you would just have to make do with what was around. But let's say no, you're sure you did grow up in an ingredients only household. Even within that camp, there are so many different reasons, different causes for why your family would shop or eat that way. Two of the main reasons that I found fall under either economic necessity or health slash diet. Being in an ingredient only household could mean you were broke. You could not afford snacks or at least not regularly. Or it could mean you were very well off living in a Gwyneth Paltrow style house. Maybe you had an almond mom who just didn't want snacks around. And in trying to visualize this and like get into the nitty gritty, I imagine a triple axis. Is that a thing? I'm not good at math or graphing, but there's one spectrum of the like convenience to raw ingredients. There's another of rich to poor and another of like how nutritious the food is because processed does not necessarily mean unhealthy, though that's typically what it's assumed to be. But this is a primary point of this video and why I wanted to explore this topic. As I said, food is so personal. Our eating and shopping habits can say so much about our culture, our parents, our upbringing, 
socioeconomic status. I have so many food-related videos on my idealist lately. I don't know why it is striking a chord for me so much right now, but it is, and hopefully you will be interested. But before we continue, this portion of today's video is sponsored by ThreadUp. As you all know, I love shopping secondhand first, and I love ThreadUp. ThreadUp is the world's largest online consignment and thrift store. When looking at the lifetime impact of buying a secondhand piece instead of new, that secondhand item can save over 80 gallons of water. So many clothes already exist and I love giving a great piece a new life in my wardrobe. What was on my spring summer wish list this time? I was looking for dresses, skirts, and some workout gear. So let me show you what I picked. First is this dress. It's J. Crew, baby. Estimated retail is $128. I got it for $43. So this is the look. We've got our little bag. We've got our little clogs. Gingham is just so good for the warm seasons. Whether you're doing a little picnic, a beach day, going to the farmer's market, <laughs> hello. Next, we have these Wilfred pinstripe pants. Estimated retail is $148. I got them for $42. And this Wilfred top. Yes, lots of Aritzia items. There is a trend here today. Also, this top is very fun. It's a basic white tee, but, but look at how it ties. That's different. That changes things. I just love this combination. Like the pants are a little business casual, but the rest of it's very just full on cash. Next up, I am trying to go on more walks. I'm trying to go to the gym. I'm trying to strength train. And I don't even know if this is a workout top, but I, I like it as such. This is another Wilfred top. My friends said it reminded them of Xenon. I just love the color, the crop, the fit. Perfect for like a chilly, a chilly little morning. And lastly, here's this A New Day skirt. This is such a cutie, comfortable, breezy skirt. Perfect for hot days. I'm gonna be soaking up the sun with SPF. Maybe reading a book on a bench. I don't know. So next time you have some shopping to do, check out ThreadUp. Click the link in my description and use code Tiffany to get an extra 40% off your first order and free shipping. Okay, so let's continue. Apparently this ingredient household discourse on TikTok confused a lot of people in European countries. I found a comment that said, is ingredient household an American term I'm too European to understand? And I actually sent out a survey about this topic and I got a lot of responses again from other European followers who said the same thing. They're like, I'm from Italy. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. I interpret it as they're confused because they're like, you're telling me you're household had ingredients and you had to cook? Isn't that normal? Like, why does this need a term? And that confusion or that difference in understanding is very fascinating to me. I don't think it so much means that like across the entire continent of Europe, the idea of having a processed packaged snack heavy household is like unheard of. But I think to me, there's also a central disagreement about what a snack is. Again, what, what does a snack mean to you? What kind of snacks are we talking about? So please allow me to go on a little tangent here. I think it's very necessary for the understanding, okay? Obviously across Europe, again, I know there are countless unique food cultures and same for the US, especially if you're from an immigrant household. But I think there is this common idea, kind of the stereotype 
type that everyone in the US only eats the standard American diet, which is known for being heavily processed, including lots of junk food and fast food. Sometimes this heavily processed diet is also known as the Western style diet. In contrast to say the Mediterranean diet, this diagram presents them as pretty much complete opposite food pyramids. Now, okay, if I were the podcast maintenance phase, I could spend the next hour debunking all of these terms and explaining why they're inaccurate. I could reference studies. We could look at data, but I am not Aubrey and Michael. I hope they do an episode on this someday because that would be fascinating. So all that being said, what are people snacking on? Okay, let's get back to the point. <laughs> what I found generally is that it's not that people in Europe do not snack. They do, but they have different snack preferences. I found this Nielsen Global Snack Report from 2014. We asked consumers around the world what one snack they would choose above all others. The overwhelming answer, fresh fruit. But chocolate is a close second. Besides those, What's everyone's third choice? Vegetables are a fave in the Asia Pacific region, cheese in Europe, bread or sandwiches in the Middle East and Africa, ice cream or gelato in Latin America, and potato chips or tortilla chips in North America. Another quote from the survey said, in Europe, snacking favorites include fresh fruit, cheese, yogurt, and vegetables. So this is where that ingredient household confusion begins to make more sense to me. If it is true that many Europeans favorite snacks are ingredients then you can be an ingredient household and still have the snacks that you prefer. Comparing that to the US again, after fruit and chocolate, we want chips, baby. And that definitely sounds true to me. We do love our salty snacks. Now, of course, people in Europe do still love and buy processed snacks like sweets, candy, desserts, salty and savory stuff. But I think based on the survey I read and the other stuff, the other stuff, the research, I think it's more common to see those as more special occasion treats rather than snacks that they would regularly buy and keep in the house. And by the way, please let me know what is true for you. My audience is always the most informative <laughs> source. One survey respondent said, I'm born and raised in Norway and in Scandinavia, it's common to have what's called Saturday sweets, basically meaning that snacks like chips, chocolate candy, baked goods, are a weekend only thing. So we had both ingredients and snacks in my house growing up, but everyone in Norway knows that snacks are reserved for the weekend only as that is the cultural norm. So going back to the idea of ingredient households, I wanna go over some of the results from my survey. Question number one, which is closest to the household you were raised in? 34% said ingredients only, 15% said convenience or snack foods, 48% in between, and 2% said they barely had groceries at all. And this wasn't too surprising. It does make sense that most households are the mix, the in-between. My next question, if you were an ingredient household, was this out of economic necessity, by choice, or perhaps for medical reasons, as in someone in the house requires a special diet. 57% said by choice, your parents wanted to avoid having unhealthy snacks in the house. 21% economic necessity, 2% medical. And for the remaining 20%, I left an other option and I got a lot of replies with more detailed reasons. I probably should have let people pick multiple choices because it could be any or all of the reasons, budget, diet, medical, 
could be anything. So then we get into snack households or that end of the spectrum where you have lots of processed convenience foods. Now, you might assume that someone living in a snack convenience food household means that that person must be rich, right? You know if you had this type of friend. One of my best friends growing up was this friend who had the pantry and the kitchen decked out with literally every delicious snack we could ever want. Her parents would be like, hey girls, what do you want? We'll pick it up from the store. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Cheez-Its. And they wouldn't have the cheap generic snacks. Like they had the good brands, the name brands. They even had the extra fridge in the garage, the suburban dream, the abundance. And the thing about having that kind of friend when that's so different from like your life at home, your friend is probably so used to it that it doesn't even excite them. They're just like, yeah, we always have snacks around, no big deal. Whereas when I was coming over to my friend's house, I would be like, I'm gonna take advantage of this. Thank you very much for her parents. They were very generous to be feeding like four teenage girls constantly. Okay, this is a major flex, but I am known among all my kids' friends as the house with the best snack drawers. They are always super full with absolutely nothing healthy. In all seriousness, we eat very balanced, but we always have a house full of kids and love to grab a snack. But anyway, that's what many of us might think of because we know, hey, good snacks can be very expensive, right? But again, does that mean every snack or convenience household is rich? No, not at all. You could be a snack-heavy household and be poor, depending on the pricing and the availability of food in your area. Imagine a household that just has very little fresh ingredients, a lot of canned or frozen stuff, packaged, processed, boxed, probably the generic versions of things. This sort of profile could mean that this household is in a food desert, which is very common in the US. Many people do not have transportation or public transportation around them is inadequate. And if you don't live within walking distance of a grocery store, and even then you have to walk back home with all your groceries, many people only have like gas stations, small convenience stores, or even dollar stores to rely on for all of their food needs. By the way, let's talk about dollar stores for a second. These have been growing at an unbelievable rate. According to the New York Times, more than one third of all stores that opened in the US in 2021 and 2022 were dollar stores. These stores specifically target underserved communities such as rural areas and low-income neighborhoods, especially with Black and Latino residents. You might think, oh, it's good to have a cheap general store. Sure, they are very popular and you can't blame people for wanting affordable products, but the problem is that dollar stores force local grocery stores out of business and suddenly they are the only store in the area. They typically stock little to no fresh food, so that leaves local citizens with very slim options. Tulsa Councilor Vanessa Hall Harper oversees a district with 10 discount dollar stores and zero grocery stores. That's why I believe their business model is to seek out food deserts and communities that have no other options. And then they can make it more difficult for other retailers to come in and be successful, particularly quality full service grocery stores. And one more thing to add to this, sometimes the reason that a household has a lot of processed convenience foods is because they get their food from a food pantry. Like the whole point is that those foods are shelf stable. You can't really get a lot of fresh foods. I'm sure some pantries offer that, but typically from what I've seen, you're gonna walk away with some peanut butter, maybe some bread, canned stuff. So again, people are just doing the best with what they have, with what they can get. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This also reminded me of kind of those reality shows. I can't even think of actual titles, but I know that I've seen this scene so many times. It's got to be either like a weight loss show or a documentary about obesity. And it's this common trope where a thin nutritionist or dietitian comes in to literally throw away all the junk food in a house. And this clean out is supposed to be the family's fresh start to finally start eating healthy. Just get rid of all the junk. And they claim to be helpful, but obviously this is purely exploitative. It's fat shaming. It's poverty shaming. The point is to embarrass these people, to shame them for having so much junk. Oh, can you believe what they have in their pantries? Oh, it's horrible. And typically the idea in these shows is like these families are supposed to develop entirely new food habits overnight. Famously, such an easy and doable thing, right? This process sets them up to fail and then you can shame them again for failing. See, we took away the bad food and you just went and bought more. You bought fast food? Why can't you learn? And it's like, this is a huge issue. It is a systemic problem. There are a lot of factors that go into why people eat the way they do. And you know what we don't see in these kind of shows? Any actual help or tools like cooking classes, food budgeting, sustainable meal plans, or therapy. Because yeah, on top of everything, many of us carry baggage and trauma related to food and our eating habits. But no, we don't see that. Eating food that's seen as bad or unhealthy is presented as a moral failure. It's easier to blame and shame individuals than it is to actually address the root causes. Next bit, you should cook from scratch. Some still argue, especially if you're broke, you should not be buying snacks. It's a waste of money. You should buy in bulk and cook from scratch. It'll be cheaper and healthier. While sometimes this advice is probably unsolicited. Maybe it's well-meaning, okay? But actually, these kind of statements often come with some classism, some judgment. I saw this TikTok comment. People who complain about ingredient households are either deathly allergic to cooking, allergic to fruit, or both. I'm like, yeah, dude, you got us. Buying fresh foods and cooking from scratch does sound nice in theory, but there are many systemic issues that make this difficult or impossible for many people. Number one, fresh food is often very expensive in the U.S., Ingredients on their own are not always cheaper. Again, especially recently, prices have gone through the roof. A lot of people who used to cook things from scratch are finding it's just not feasible anymore. It doesn't make sense to spend twice as much on ingredients when they can buy the packaged version. When you're on a budget, you've got to make that kind of choice. Buying in bulk requires a higher upfront cost. So like, yeah, in terms of cost efficiency, it'd be great if you could buy a 10 pound bag, but that's not always feasible. Sometimes buying one can of something is all you can afford. And also when it comes to buying fresh foods, this really depends on how often you buy your groceries because fresh produce only lasts so long. I think many people in Europe are used to shopping more frequently. They pick up a few things from the local shop multiple times a week versus in the US, it's a lot more common to shop once a week or less. So often if you need food that's gonna last a little bit longer and make sure it's not wasted, that is gonna mean buying preserved, frozen, or canned, which again is still 
very good. Frozen and canned stuff should not be stigmatized. And another reason, transitioning from a more convenience household to an ingredient household takes a lot of time. You can't do it overnight unless you wanna spend hundreds of dollars. You have to buy all the staples. You've gotta buy all the spices. And if you are literally starting with like bare cupboards, that's a lot of products. This kind of reminds me of like when I want to cook a specific recipe and I wanna make it, but I don't have a lot of the ingredients. If I go to the store and I buy a ton of all these ingredients, I better know how to use them and hope that this meal turns out well. Otherwise, they are all gonna go to waste and I'm actually gonna be worse off. That meal is probably gonna cost me $40 to get all the ingredients I need. So that's like risky to me. Throwing a meal into the oven is a lot easier than making a meal from scratch and at least it only requires me buying a frozen pizza. Someone might've just heard my story and be like, sounds like you're a shitty cook. Yeah, I'm not very well versed. And that brings me to kind of the, the politics of home cooked meals. Because in this entire equation of what you're buying, the ingredients that you have and what you're making, there's also the very important element of cooking, the time, energy, and skill that it takes to be able to cook. If you are working multiple jobs or long hours, if you are a parent, if you are disabled, this is always a very important part of the discussion when we're talking about packaged foods, pre-cut foods. We've seen time and time again, people be like, oh, how lazy to buy this. And it's like, oh, disabled people need that actually. This is why convenience foods are so important and so crucial to many people. It's not just being lazy. It's not just trying to take the easy route. Many people need them to survive. If you're a latchkey kid, meaning like you go home after school and your parents aren't there, they get home late, there better be something in the house that you can eat Otherwise, you're not gonna have dinner. So often latchkey kids kind of eat like a bowl of cereal, maybe some Kraft mac and cheese, something that's within their skill set. And their parents might just be snacking on the go because they only get a 10 minute break at work. Ultimately, when I was thinking about all of this, it all boils down to the same point that it always is. The conditions that we live under make it incredibly difficult to live the kind of lifestyle that you might very well want to. You might want to be able to cook from scratch and eat fresh food, but that might not be feasible. Again, probably due to the job that you're working, the hours, the wages that you're being paid, and the cost of food. Sometimes it's about just doing your best. It might not be perfect or fresh or super healthy, but we've gotta eat to survive. And that does count for something. Finally, reaching kind of the conclusion of this video, what I also wanted to talk about was like how the way that we are raised affects us in our adulthood or in our futures. We typically repeat the habits that we were raised under or we rebel hard against them. We could do a whole 180. For example, a pretty common narrative is if you are raised by a super health conscious almond parent, it's often the almond moms in these stories, but you can have almond dads almond parents. A lot of my survey respondents said that they had internalized the fear or the avoidance of bad foods, and some still struggle to be able to buy or eat snacks even as adults. Or you could go in the opposite direction and become obsessed with snacks, even start binge eating because you were deprived of those options. There are similar kind of parallels if you grew up poor or with food scarcity, you might develop you know, a fear of experiencing that again to where you cannot waste food. You force yourself to finish every bit of food you buy or what's on your plate. Ultimately, we all hopefully want to like unpack and unlearn our negative habits and beliefs about food and learn more balanced 
neutral ones. Lastly, I just want to share a bit of my own experience and my upbringing. I would say my household growing up was probably 70% packaged convenience foods and maybe 30% ingredients. We did not eat family meals together. When my mom cooked dinner, we'd usually eat separately or I would just eat my own food at some point in the night. We didn't grow up with a lot of cooking in the house. I never learned to cook as a kid. In terms of groceries, my family for most of my childhood was probably lower middle class. We got free or reduced lunch in school. We actually spent a lot of money on groceries, too much, but I have three siblings and my brothers would usually eat most of the like good food within literally a day or two. So it always felt like we had no food, but that was being a little dramatic. We had food, maybe just not the stuff I wanted. Was this the cheapest or most efficient way to feed a family of six? Definitely not, but my parents were doing their best. They were raising four kids. Anyway, I remember if we went to Costco, we would get goldfish and Cheez-Its. Those were my favorites. String cheese. Otherwise, I ate a lot of like microwaved frozen food. These burritos, these taquitos, microwave quesadillas, peanut butter jellies, maybe on a tortilla. You might be wondering, where are the fruits and veggies? Exactly. I grew up loving fast food. I think I actually like had an addiction to the habit for a while. And to this day, I do love and prefer beige foods. I have to actively tell myself, you have to eat something other than just beige foods. It's funny, my, my first job was at a produce store and it was kind of embarrassing because when I got hired, like during my training process, we had to learn all the products in the store and my manager was walking me around and quizzing me on things. There were so many fruits and veggies that I just was not familiar with. I was getting so many of them wrong. And yeah, like I was embarrassed. Like I was like, oh, am I supposed to know these things? Is it normal for people to be familiar with radicchio? Or honestly, what is the difference between a peach and a, I can't even remember now. <laughs> okay, it was peach nectarines, and apricots. I still have no clue. I feel like I've always had like kids meal taste. To this day, again, I'm like grilled cheese, quesadilla, a little cheeseburger, pizza. And I have to live with this. I have to live with how my upbringing affected my palate, my taste. I'm like, am I, am I just being immature? Is it wrong for me to like these foods? Which I don't think it is. But still, it's taken some unlearning I have to force myself to be open to try new things still. And again, in terms of cooking, I never learned as a kid. So that was another thing that I really had to work on. Luckily, my husband cooks a lot and enjoys it. When we first moved in together, that was also a rude awakening because I was like, I don't know how to do anything. He asked me to dice an onion once. I was like, can you show me? <laughs> I had no knife skills, still barely. But no, there's no reason to like be ashamed of that. I will say to this day, I'm still not great at cooking. I don't enjoy it. Maybe because I'm not good at it yet. But I will say I rely on a lot of convenience foods. I am a Trader Joe's girly through and through. Essentially, Trader Joe's has like lots of pre-made meals that are frozen. You just throw them in the oven. They've got a lot of like bagged frozen stuff like sides. And, and I'm a sucker for it because again, as a, a junk food kid trying to be an adult and feed myself. I'd live off veggie corn dogs if I was on my own. So in comparison, having some, some frozen veggies 
that's an improvement for me. So that's that. I hope you enjoyed this. I know it's a lot, but again, I always come back to how our habits affect us and trying to be sensitive, trying to be kind to my inner child. We're both ordering kids meals right now. And I think it's possible to look back and be kind to yourself, but also to look ahead and be like, you know what? There are things that we can practice and improve on, and we're not going to do that with judgment. But hey, if you want to eat a little more variety, you're trying to work on your grocery shopping and figure out how to actually buy things efficiently, good idea. So that's where I'm at. If you want to tell me anything about your story, your upbringing, or your current household, please do. So thanks again to ThreadUp for sponsoring today's video. You can click my link in the description and use code Tiffany to get an extra 40% off your first order and free shipping. And thanks to my sweet, sweet patrons. If you want to support my channel, you want to check out the bonus videos I've made on Patreon, you can do that. Extra thank yous to my executive producer tier. We have Uwu Face, Abby Hayden, Chloe Noel, Freshly Laundered, Ivy Adam, Jackie King, Jeanette B, Jill Hoffman, Julie Leva, Matthew Gray, Megan Collins, Mancat33, Morgan Tisa, Nicole Louise, Sarah Kemi, Stevie May, Treffa, and VivianOladon.com. Thank you so much for being patrons. Anyway, I hope you're well. Please stay tuned for future internet analysis videos. Okay, thanks. No, not double. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye.